Well, it is the, uh, it is the beginning of uh, a new year, and it is our tradition at Blue Water Mission to uh, kick off the new year with a service in which we just give uh, a big chunk of time into listening uh, for the voice of the Lord and doing some prophetic ministry, uh, if nothing else, to get some uh, direction uh, for the new year. I always like to uh, do that when the calendar turns um, to allow the Lord to, uh, to shape our direction um, for, for the year. Um, I, uh, uh, I never attended one church for very long uh, when I was uh, young because my family, uh, they were not a church-going family, and we moved around a whole bunch, and, you know, so I occasionally got some good church and, and occasionally not. Um, but the churches that I did manage to be a part of uh, when I was uh, younger um, um, really preached scripture well, you know, the value uh, of, of the Bible. But um, they did not um, talk much about hearing the direct voice uh, of the Lord, uh, which even when I was a kid, I found rather curious because when I read scripture, when I read or listen to the stories that were in the Bible, it seemed to me that an awful lot of those stories were about God talking to people, right? Uh, the Lord would show up or an angel would show up or somebody would have a dream in the night and the Lord would give some direction or some sort of information or some sort of affirmation and change the person's life or change the person's life direction. It seemed to me that like every other Bible story was about God speaking uh, to a human uh, and it was curious to me that, that I, I didn't find that in the churches uh, that I visited in my own little devotional life uh, outside uh, of church. I, I, I did feel like the Lord would speak to me uh, from time to time, but I, I found no reflection of that in, in the faith communities uh, that I visited. Until I got to, to college, and I remember I walked into this one church. Uh, it was in San Jose uh, one Sunday, uh, visiting for the first time. And uh, we were late, the, the pastor was up front, he was saying something, and he stopped and he said, oh, I think the Lord is telling me right now that there's someone here who has uh, an ear condition today, some sort of ear infection or something. Where are you? The Lord would like to heal you today. And it was just, you know, a moment in, in the service where, where the pastor felt like the Lord spoke and gave him some direction. And indeed, there was someone with a, an ear problem. They stood up and prayed uh, and, and got healed. And my reaction was, see, I knew it. I knew it. I knew they've been holding out on me all this time. God does speak to people. Uh, someone has finally admitted it. This was a big deal in, in the Old Testament uh, stories. Uh, when way, way back when God's people were just starting out, right? They were very primitive people. They were very juvenile people. And one of the first things that God taught them was that he was not a stone mute idol. He was not like the idols of the pagan tribes. Uh, he would just be like, you know, stone statues that wouldn't say anything, that wouldn't do anything. Uh, God revealed himself to the ancient Hebrews as the God who speaks. God who speaks. You speak to him, uh, he speaks back to you. Uh, and so in some sense, our annual prophecy service is just a celebration of, of a God who speaks. Uh, a God who speaks to us is a very relational God, right? You've heard that it's really important to have a relationship with God. Well, what's a relationship without conversation? My wife says that to me all the time. You know. What's a relationship without conversation? 
and, and certainly uh, more so uh, when you're dealing with uh, a supreme being. Uh, if you are going to uh, walk with God, then you have to talk with God. Uh, otherwise, it's no relationship uh, at all. So I hope that you are all practicing listening for the voice of the Lord uh, on your own uh, in your personal uh, relationship uh, with the Lord. Uh, but it's also clear in Scripture that when God's people come together, um, he gets particularly chatty. You know, it's like a family gathering. Uh, there's lots of sharing going on, and the Lord will share with us, and, and that's what a, a prophecy service uh, is about. The foundation of my life, I would, ha I would say, is, is really the content of Scripture, the stories, the accounts that have been passed down to us uh, through the centuries, uh, stuff that I really rely on. They were uh, my first revelation of what God is like. But the, the shape of my life has largely been determined by God speaking directly to me or through somebody else to me. Right? What I believe, sure, that can be found from reading the scripture. But how I live is really shaped by what the Lord says to me you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, the reason I live in Hawaii, that came from a prophecy that the Lord uh, gave me. Um, the reason that Blue Water Mission exists as a church, actually, that sort of came uh, from the Lord speaking uh, to a small number of us, et cetera, et cetera. Are you following me so far? Just say amen. You know why? Because the basis of relationship is conversation. I speak to you, you speak respectfully to me. This is how it works. So, God who speaks? It's a little slow, you're a little slow. It's okay, I'm an introvert. I understand completely uh, what it's like. Are you following me so far? I feel vaguely affirmed. Okay, um, because uh, I think conversation with God is such a huge deal, it's been such a big deal in my life, I have had occasion to reflect a lot on God's conversational style. Everybody has a conversational uh, style. Uh, in, in, in my marriage, the, our conversational style is that Sonia talks and I listen. It's a style. It's a style that we have, and it works for us, satisfies both of us. Uh, occasionally I grunt, um, but you know, you play to your strengths. Um, God uh, has a, a style in which he relates to people. I just want to, well, I think he does. And, and here are just a couple of observations to sort of set us up for the prophetic ministry uh, that is to come. Um, things that influence the way that God speaks to us. Number one, uh, God is smarter than we are. Go ahead and write that down if you want. Just, just write that right down. God is, is smarter. If there is a superior being, he's smarter than you. Um, and uh, accordingly, we find that, that he defines the issues in your conversation. He being the smarter one, he picks the agenda. Right? God usually picks the topic when he talks with us. Um, I notice this in the gospel stories. When you read the stories in the gospels, all the stories about Jesus, uh, in other words, people are constantly asking Jesus questions. I went through the, all four gospels once, and I counted the number of times in which Jesus answered the question he was asked. Once. Once, or twice. It's 
he did it in one story that shows up in two different gospels. But, you know, only one time does Jesus actually answer directly the question he was asked. What does he do usually? Usually somebody asks him a question and he responds often with another question, yes. Or, you know, he answers the question that should have been asked but wasn't, you know. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you tell me, what does the scripture say? You know, what, in other words, do you want to have a religious debate? Or do you want to talk about following me? Which is where the conversation needed to go. That's a story uh, that, that a lot of you know. The only time where Jesus actually answered directly the question he was asked is when the disciples failed to do a miracle. They failed to cast out a demon. And they say, Lord, why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus said, well, because you didn't have enough faith and because you didn't pray and fast enough beforehand. In other words, you got to get prepared for ministry. You can't take this casually. Um, that was a big discipleship uh, moment. Why, why does Jesus do that? Well, because he... He always, he always knows what, what's going on. I am like this a little bit, just, 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 just a tiny bit. And it's really not because I am righteous and insightful. It's just because I, I suck at small talk. Um, if my, my, my version of like the first ring of hell is, is the cocktail party. You know, you show up with people you don't know and you drink sherry and you chat about stupid stuff. Come on, is anybody with me? That's awful. That's a terrible, terrible experience. Uh, and and uh, you should never subject anyone to that experience. Uh, because you talk about meaningless things. And the whole time I'm in these, these environments, I'm like, you know, I, I'm willing to talk to you, but can we talk about something that actually counts? You know? So in that small way, I think I'm, about, I'm, I'm like God. Um, He's like, well, you know, we could chat about this silly question that's bothering you, or we could chat about this anxiety that for some reason you've made a big deal of in life, or we can talk about what really counts for you. So, uh, here it is. Here it is. Um, I had a, a real formative conversation with Jesus uh, years ago. It, I, it was so formative that I remember it. I was in my early 20s. And uh, there were a few issues that were supposed to be moving in my life and that they were not moving. And I was complaining to God about this. Uh, complaining to God never works. Uh, but I was complaining with, with God about this. And, um, and uh, the Lord said, let's go for a walk. I remember that. So uh, I, I was living in a, in a very violent ghetto at the time. So I, I went out for a walk along the, the shore uh, and this violent place where nobody went because they were afraid of, of getting killed, basically. Uh, but it meant that the whole shoreline was open for quiet walks with God. Uh, I was out there walking with God and, and, the, and the Lord. Uh, I was complaining to him and he stopped me. And I just, it was just one of those times where I felt that he spoke very clearly. And he spoke to me the story of Abraham and Isaac. You know that story? Abraham has a son, Isaac, who's a son of, of promise. And then the Lord says, hey, sacrifice Isaac. Kill him for me very confusing moment, I'm sure, that Abraham uh, made to sacrifice Isaac. It's just this horrible, frightening story. Takes Isaac up to the top of the mountain, grabs a knife, and is about to kill him, and then finally God intervenes and says, all right, you know, basically, you prove that you would do it. Of course, you're not going to do it. Here, let me provide a ram for the sacrifice. And it's just this very famous story, haunting story. 
And, and the Lord told me that story. It's what it felt like to me in this conversation. So I'm like, okay, thank you. Yeah, I had read that story. That's not what I'm talking about. I was talking about these complaints that I had. And then the Lord just stopped me dead on my tracks and said, and I will never forget this. And he said, Jordan, my promises to you, these things that I've promised you in life that you're complaining that, that you're not getting, my promises to you are still my promises. I'll give you the promised child, but, you know, the child still belongs to me. The point is, is not to make you understand that concept. The Lord promises you something he still owns it. You know, you have to come with an attitude of humility and faith on all occasions with the Lord. You cannot hold one of God's promises over his head to get him to do what you want. That, that's what the Lord was, was saying to me. But it was a time in which the Lord changed topic on me. He said, no, no, life is always about whether you trust me or not. The Lord chooses the topic. And the Lord will speak to some of you uh, this morning and just to say he will choose the topic. Point number two and it's sort of related to that story uh, I just told. Uh, when the Lord speaks to you, the goal is, is often not so much information as it is inspiration. When the Lord speaks, he always leaves a little room for faith, right? Uh, the Lord tends to not speak in very detailed black and white guarantees. He, he tends to speak in a way that gives you some inkling of what's going to happen, some good idea of what's going on in your life or what you should do. But there's always a little, a little wiggle room. There's always a little gap. How many of you have ever complained to the Lord, would you just tell me exactly what to do? He will never do that. Now, of course, you know, I say that and so, you know, he's going to do that for one of you. But... It's just not how the dude works. Um, and, and I kind of liken it to um, <clears throat> uh, the way, uh, you know, a father might raise a child, the way, the way my dad uh, raised me. I can count on two or three fingers the number of times which, which my dad gave me direct advice. He never did that. Uh, what he would do is he'd take me, this is how, I, this is how my dad taught me to drive. Uh, we were driving down the highway one day. I was 14 years old. He had an old pickup truck. Uh, we lived out in the country. He pulled over on a country road, uh, and he said, you, you watched me drive for a long time. Yes, Dad. You're going to have to learn to drive pretty soon. Sure. 14 now. So he stops the truck. He opens the door. He gets out and says, get behind the wheel and drive. I'll wait here. I was out on a country dirt road. I couldn't do much damage. Um, but uh, what, what he was doing there in, in, in old-fashioned <laughs> sort of a way was, uh, he was he was not giving me instruction how to drive. He was giving me confidence. Right? You follow? And it's sort of an old-fashioned, very, you know, m manly, <laughs> you know, I guess. A mom would never do something like that, right? <laughs> Um, it's, it's not just the content of, of the teaching. It's not the, the instructional content. It's, you know, the development. That, that's often how the Lord will speak to us. He will take us to some pinnacle in life where we have, to, we have to, some big decision to make, and he will say, all right, show me what you know. What have you learned from me so far? I trust you. You're going to make the right call. Have you noticed that God will often speak about the little things in life, and then on the big questions in life, he's oddly silent? 
right? Or when there are big times, you'll say, well, give, give, give me a direction, speak something to me, and he'll talk about something else. You know, as if to say, no, no, you got this one. No, we're moving on now. Um, the Lord always leaves some room for faith development. Uh, the most prophesied event in all of Scripture is what? It was the coming of Jesus. By some count, 1,500 Old Testament prophecies prophesied the coming of Jesus, how it would happen, when it would happen, what he would be like. And who noticed it when Jesus showed up? Virtually no one. Right? Uh, the Lord prophesies in such a way that when it happens, you can figure out God is behind it. But he very rarely prophesies with such detail that you know exactly what's going on in any moment. There's always room for faith. There's always room for trust. Following me? I don't feel like I expressed that very well, but just give me a hearty amen. amen. Way to go. All right. And then we'll just... We'll just close by reading an example of a conversation with Jesus. And uh, I say that by warning to uh, the prophetically gifted people in the congregation, including the youth, by the way, guys. Um, we're going to stand up here in a second and prophesy over the crowd. Uh, but this story is from John chapter 21. It comes from the very end of the Gospel of John. And it's, it's one of the final interactions that Jesus had uh, with his disciples before he ascended to heaven. So what has happened here, that Jesus has been killed, he's resurrected, and then he is occasionally making appearances uh, to people. And uh, on this morning, he makes an appearance on a beach. Uh, Peter and some of the other guys are out fishing. Uh, Jesus shows up on the beach. Uh, they don't recognize him at first. Post-resurrection, evidently his p appearance was a little bit uh, obscure or shifting, so they didn't always immediately recognize that it was Jesus for some reason. Uh, Jesus helps them to have a miraculous catch of fish by giving them some advice. Peter realizes that it's Jesus. They, they swim to shore, eventually pull the boat to shore, and then they have a little, little cookout for breakfast. When they had finished e eating, Jesus um, said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I'm, I'm not sure grammatically how that's supposed to work out is he's saying do you love me more than these fish that we just caught or do you love me more than these other disciples do that's the one I'm kind of going with because remember before the resurrection Peter said to Jesus even if everyone else falls away and runs away and denies you I will not I love you more than any of them that was his boast and so Jesus is kind of kind of Peter did not do so well he denied Jesus on the night of his death so Jesus is sort of softly raising the issue not directly, but softly. Simon, do you love me? Uh, yes, Lord, he says. You know that I love you, period. He's no longer boasting anymore. He's no longer saying, I love you more than anyone. He's saying, yes, I love you, fallibly. <laughs> I didn't do so well uh, a few nights ago, but I'm with you now. And then Jesus said, feed my lambs. You're a shepherd. Take care of the flock. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
get to work. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Peter, uh, evidently following after Jesus at that point, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. And that was John. That was the way that John referred to himself. Uh, This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him following, he asked, Lord, what about him? What about the kid? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if, you, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. In other words, that disciple, John, was the disciple that originated the Gospel of John from which we are reading. So just a few observations about this. Uh, one, I noticed the way that Jesus plays with the topic. Simon, do you love me? Okay, here it comes. Now he's going to ream me for denying him on the night of his death, right? That's what Peter thinks is coming. Simon, do you, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then what is Jesus supposed to say? Jesus is supposed to say, then why did you deny me three times on the night of my death, you loser? Are you going to suck it up now or what? How about some repentance? We're going to do some inner healing. We're going to get you clean. We're going to get you built up. We're going to get you squared away, right? Instead, he says, feed my lambs. You've got work to do. And then they do that routine three times. Why three times? Because Peter denied him three times. You know? So each time, it, th- this is essentially what's going on. This conversation is mostly about what's not said. Right? Jesus did not ream out Peter for his failure. Instead, he called Peter to ministry. Have you ever had that experience? You come before the Lord, you're feeling, you know, you're just feeling guilty, you're feeling inadequate. And then, I don't know, some prophetic person comes in front of you and says, oh, the Lord has a job for you to do. He's calling you to lead an Ohana group or something like that. It's like, what? I thought the Lord was going to read me for my sins. And instead the Lord says, no, get to work. That's essentially what, what Jesus is doing for Peter here. God chooses the topic. You know, it wasn't Peter's failure that was first and foremost in God's mind. It was Peter's calling. God has the right to choose the topic. And I imagine that was very formative for Peter. And then at the end, Jesus makes a prophecy about the future. I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. This is a very euphemistic way of saying, Peter, uh, when you get older, someone is going to tie you up and and lead you around. You're going you're gonna to be a prisoner and, you, and you're going you're gonna to die that way. And indeed, Peter was crucified. He was um, one of the ten of the original twelve that died a violent execution death. Um, but it's not really a direct prophecy, is it? It's, it needs to be interpreted. Jesus is speaking a little bit euphemistically, a little bit symbolically, and he does the same thing for, for John and says... If I want him to remain alive when I return, what is that to you? And, and, and the, the author says, uh, 
you know, a rumor went around that this meant that John would never die, but that's not what it would meant. In other words, Jesus just didn't speak plainly about these things. And I just think that's God's conversational style. He tells you what you need to know. He was telling Peter what he, what he needed to know. Peter, uh, don't worry about where you rank in, in the disciples' order of death or anything like that. You just follow me. You just do your job. I imagine that some of the words the Lord shares this morning are going to be uh, in that nature. You've come in here with some burden or some confusion or some, some shame, some guilt, and instead the Lord will say to you, uh, like, well, look, get to work. But what about all these other things? Don't worry about those. Just do what I tell you. Everything else will work itself out as we go. And that's very often uh, the nature of the encouragement that the Lord gives to us.